This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. And open your Bibles to uh, Genesis 35. Um, we're going kind of, gonna, to kind of preach a standalone sermon um, today. We're in between series, and we just finished six weeks in the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you uh, to go back and to maybe give a listen to those messages from, from Proverbs. Again, it's so helpful just to get, the, we covered so many life principles over the past six weeks, and even if you were here for all six messages, I would just encourage you, it, it gets it deeper in if you can go back and, and listen again. If you don't have our church app yet, um, if you have a smartphone, uh, our church has an app, you can, so you can either listen to or watch all of the messages. If you want to go back and listen to something again, I want to encourage you to go back and kind of go over those messages and, and Proverbs again. We covered a, a lot of ground, but today what I want to do is kind of, we're, we're, I want to preach a special message today that I hope God will use to prepare our hearts for, for next week, for next Sunday, and for our Thirst Conference um, next week. And so we're going to talk today about the path of personal revival. Um, and we see principles in Genesis 35 and, and in the life of Jacob that will help us um, with that. And so we're going uh, to read from Genesis 35 in just a few minutes. I want to kind of set a context for that first. And so let's pray together as we begin. Father, we lift up our lives to you. We, we pray for your touch upon our lives. We pray that, that you would bring renewal and revival and show us the path to that. We know it can only come from you ultimately, but Lord, we also know that you, you call upon us to return to you. And so speak to our hearts right now about that. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, our culture is fascinated by by renovation, by transformation. You can see that even in the popularity of certain TV shows, um, extreme makeovers <laughs> in, in houses, for instance. You know, at the beginning of the, the show, uh, the, the renovators will walk into a house that kind of looks tired or maybe downright sad, and they, they take a look around, they kind of roll their eyes, but they agree to take the job. And then at the end of the show, there's oohs and ahs because that, that house has been just, just utterly transformed. And then you have the shows that are, are more about kind of personal transformation. And so at the beginning, a person is interviewed maybe with, you know, kind of low self-esteem and, and then, um, you know, kind of fashion designers uh, get to work and maybe personal trainers begin working that, with that person or hairstylists or makeup artists or whatever. And at the end of the show, you see this same person and, and their appearance is just kind of, kind of utterly transformed. They look like a brand new man or woman, but we know they're not. We know that the changes have only been 
external or cosmetic. But, but these programs that are about transformation point to something deeper. They, they point to a desire that people have for a deeper, more lasting transformation. Transformation of the heart. And that, that's what we're going to see today in Jacob's life and we see that in Genesis 35, but before we get to chapter 35, I need to lay a context here because we need to understand what has happened in Jacob's life that, that brings him to the point that we find him in Genesis 35. And it, it, it is a wild story. <laughs> Jacob's life had so many twists and, and, and turns, and it was, in a way, it was so tortured, and at times, just kind of downright twisted. It all began when, when Jacob came um, kind of out of his mom, Rebecca's womb, and he was grasping onto the heel of his twin brother, Esau. And in, in Hebrew, the, the phrase, one who grasps the, the heel, was sort of a figure of speech for deception. And throughout the life of, of Jacob, you, you see this motif of deception coming out. It begins when he sort of um, swindles his older brother out of his birthright. And if you know this story, you know that, that Esau comes in from the field and he's, he's famished, he's starving, and he sees Jacob over here making this stew. And so Esau foolishly sells his birthright for this, this stew. And of course, that was on Esau. That was incredibly uh, foolish for Esau to, to, to do that. But Jacob was all too willing to, to exploit his brother and to take advantage of him in sort of a, a weakened condition. And so he gets his birthright, but then it goes from bad to worse because then Jacob swindles Esau out of his father's blessing. And so their mom, Rebecca, who favored Jacob, hatches this, this deceptive plot to trick Isaac, who was old and blind, into giving the blessing to Jacob rather than Esau. And so if you know the story, you know that, that Jacob puts kind of fake uh, hair on his hands and his arms, kind of like Esau, who's very hairy, to, to trick his dad, who's blind, into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. And, and, he, and he does that, and he, he robs his brother of, of, of his blessing. And at this point, Esau was so livid with Jacob that his one consolation in life was that one day, my parents are going to die and I'm going to kill my brother. Well, Rebecca, their mom, is so freaked out that Esau is going to murder Jacob, that she sends Jacob away. 
She says, go and live with my brother. Go and live with, with, with your uncle uh, Laban so that you can get away from, from Esau. But on the way to, to the home of Laban, something incredible happens one night. Jacob lies down under, outside, kind of under the Middle Eastern stars. And he puts his head down on a stone for a pillow. And he dreams this incredible God-given dream. And in this dream, there's this, there's this ladder that's stretching between heaven and earth. And there are angels that are going up and down this ladder. And then God speaks to Jacob. And, and we see it in, in, in Genesis 28, 13 through 15. It's on, on your screen. Uh, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, you may ask, okay, why is God showering this kind of grace on Jacob. I mean, up until this point in his life, Jacob has basically just been this, this kind of deceptive jerk. So why, why does he deserve the blessing of God? Well, he didn't deserve the blessing of God. That's the whole point. This is just God's pure grace upon Jacob. Undeserved. How, how did Jacob react to it? We, we see here in verses 20 and following, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. You notice here that, that Jacob's response to God's amazing grace is ambivalent at best. He's basically saying here, God, if you do all of these good things for me, if you continue to bless me, uh, then one day you'll be my God. <laughs> you almost want to pop him. <laughs> but, but, what is God? but God just continues to, to just shower grace on Jacob. He gets to the area near his uncle Laban's home, and, and he's at a well and suddenly he sees the love of his life, Rachel. And it is instant. It is love at first sight. And Jacob knows this is the woman for me. And he actually begins to weep. He's so overcome by emotion at just the grace of God. Because he knows this is going to be his wife. More grace. But Jacob still has so much to learn. And in the house of his uncle Laban, he's going to learn about the school of hard knocks. <laughs> because in Laban, Jacob meets somebody who is just as deceptive as he is. 
And it begins when Laban sort of tricks Jacob into marrying his older daughter, his firstborn daughter, Leah, when he thinks he's marrying Rachel. (laughs) And so Jacob kind of gets a dose of his own medicine. But he ends up with, with, with both, okay? He ends up with two wives, which in itself was really problematic and, and not really a recipe for peace in their home, but it gets even crazier because Rachel was unable to have children, and so she was so desperate, she gets one of her servant girls, and she says to Jacob, I want you to marry my servant girl as sort of like a substitute wife, that she may have children for me, and Jacob does it. And then Leah, who had been having children all along, is not able to have them anymore, and so she does the same thing. She takes her servant woman and says to Jacob, I want you to marry her that she may bear children for me, which she does, and then eventually God opens Rachel's womb, and Rachel begins to have children. So now Jacob's got two wives, two like substitute wives, and children by all four, okay? So it's not exactly a recipe for domestic harmony and peace. And by the way, the entire time that this is happening, he's fighting with his father-in-law. He and Laban are going back and forth trying to trick one another and swindle one another out of money. Well, at this point, God tells Jacob. See, God throughout all of this, God hasn't given up on Jacob. His promise stands. And so God says to Jacob, look, I want you to take your family and I want you to return to that special place. The place where I appeared to you at first. Where you saw the dream of the angels going up and down the ladder. I want you to go back to that place. Back to that promised land. And so... Jacob gets his family and he he leaves the house of Laban to go um, back to Bethel. And then something else happens. He lies down one night and, and this time instead of a dream, there's a wrestling match with an angel the angel of the Lord, and, 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 and Jacob wrestles with this angel until the break of day. And he is, he's clinging on to this angel and And he says, I won't let go until you bless me. See, at this point, God is beginning to break through in Jacob's life. And Jacob is beginning to realize, you know what? I can't just get by on my wits and my savvy and my deception. Jacob is beginning to realize, I need the blessing of God. So he says to the angel of the Lord, I won't let go until you bless me. And he's going to need God's blessing. Because you know who he was going to face the next day? His old brother Esau is coming. And Esau's got like an army of like hundreds of guys. And Jacob is terrified that Esau's going to kill him, wipe out his family. But you know what he gets? Grace. He meets He meets Esau, and Esau, rather than murdering him, Esau embraces him. 
forgives him. Again, just, it's just more grace. Grace upon grace. How did Jacob respond to that grace? <laughs> Instead of going back to Bethel immediately like God told him to do, you know what he did? He goes to a place called Shechem because it's prosperous and he thinks he can make more money there. So he goes to Shechem. The people there are just kind of, kind of pagan, evil. One of his daughters ends up being raped by a local. And then in sort of a murderous rage, Jacob's sons not only kill the guy who raped their sister, but they just wipe out the, all of the men of that city. So now the men of this whole region around Shechem are after Jacob and his family and want to kill him. So that leads us to chapter 35. That's where we are with Jacob and his family surrounded by these hostile people who want nothing more than to, to murder them. And the question comes, what is Jacob going to do now? Is Jacob going to do what he usually does and, and go back to his wits and his ability to trick people and his savvy and his cleverness? Or is he going to finally surrender all and turn to God? Let's pick it up in Genesis 35. Let's look at verses 1 through 7. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So what do we see here in this this passage. I want us to look at some principles. First of all, we see here God's gracious initiative. God's gracious initiative. Verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Notice the first two words here in verse 1. God said, this is God coming to Jacob and taking the initiative once again out of grace. And God always has to do that 
with us too because turning to God is not something that we're gonna do on our own, not with our sinful nature. It's just not gonna happen. We turn to him because he has first turned to us and opened our hearts and enabled us to repent and turn to him. And you notice here in verse one that God reminds Jacob of, of the special time and, and place when he worked in his life. He says, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you. God is saying, Jacob, do you remember that night when I came to you? When I appeared to you in that dream? You remember the dream of the angels? that were ascending and descending upon the ladder that stretched between heaven and earth. Jacob, do you remember? We misunderstand that story, by the way, about the ladder. Because when we think about ladders, we think about us going up. But this is a ladder where God is coming down. That's the point. God is coming down to bless Jesus refers to Jacob's dream in, in the first chapter of John, in John 151. And, and what does he say there? Jesus, Jesus says there, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus here is the ladder, right? Jesus is, is, is heaven coming down to earth. That's revival. Revival is when God comes down and meets with his people. The gospel is all about God coming down to us, taking the initiative. So we see here God's gracious initiative. Second, we see that God's grace leads to repentance. Paul says in Romans 2, 4, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, all of those times when God showed undeserved mercy and kindness and patience and grace to Jacob was meant to lead Jacob to the point that he would surrender and drive a stake in the ground and say, Lord, you are my Lord. I repent. I turn to you. It's the same way in our lives. All of God's patience, all of his mercy, all of the undeserved grace that we have received in our lives is meant to lead us to repentance. And one day, those opportunities to turn to God come to an end. Fortunately, Jacob here is given another opportunity, and, and what is he gonna do with it? Well, we see in verses two and three. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Wow, this is the moment. Jacob, who has always been so ambivalent 
to God. So non-committal, so equivocating. Jacob, Jacob surrenders. I mean, Jacob, Jacob is all in. He says, you're the Lord. You are my Lord. You are my God. You are my king. It's commitment. Mark Dever asks, can you be a commitment phobe and a Christian too? What could be more options closing than following Jesus who told his disciples that anyone who would follow him must take up his cross? It's about commitment. And Jacob here is making an all-out commitment and we see it. And, and what happens here? Because what does he, what does he say here to his, his family in, in verse 2? First thing he says is, put away the foreign gods that are among you. And the term put away here, almost, it's almost like too polite. Because basically what he's saying here is get rid of them. Get rid of your idols. Now there is a history here. Because when Jacob and his family left the home of Laban, Laban came chasing after them, and he says to Jacob, why'd you steal my gods, my idols? And Jacob says, I didn't steal your gods. Take a look around, look around the tent, and see if you can find your idols. I didn't take them. Well, well Laban kind of pokes around the tent, and he can't find his idols. Here's, here's his daughter, Rachel, who's sitting over here, and she says, I, I would move, but I'm having my period, okay? Um, and so she says, I, I have to remain uh, seated, seated here. Well, in reality, what was happening is Rachel had stolen the idols. And they were, she, was, she was sitting on them. That's a pretty sad commentary on these gods, right? Because these are gods that can be stolen and sat upon. All right? But, see, Rachel stole the gods because she was still into that stuff, right? The, the family, they were still, they wanted to kind of worship the one true God, but they wanted to hold on to their idols at the same time, right? And we can do the same thing, even if we don't have kind of idols that are made out of, you know, wood or metal, we can hold on to our idols because what's an, what's an idol? Tim Keller and his book, Counterfeit God, says this. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Do you have idols? Part of revival is throwing them in the trash heap. So Jacob says to his family, get rid of your idols. What else does he say here in verse two? Purify yourselves. Now in the context of ancient Israel, this would have involved sort of like a, a ritual bath, but, but the apostle Paul sort of takes this into a new covenant context in 2 Timothy 2, and he says, this to us. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. 
Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. What are the dishonorable things in your life that you need to cleanse yourself from? That you would be a vessel for honorable use, that you would be set apart as holy, that you would be useful to the master of the house, that you would be ready for every good work. What else does Jacob say here in verse two? He says, change your garments. Now, again, in the context of ancient Israel, this would have involved a literal change of clothing. The apostle Paul transfers this again to sort of a new covenant context and he uses this imagery of putting off the old wardrobe and putting on the new. Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. <clears throat> you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off, right? There's the image, the image of kind of like stripping off this old kind of filthy set of clothes You've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on, okay, the image there. Once again, put, you're putting on like a new wardrobe. Of what? Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And this new life, <clears throat> it doesn't matter <clears throat> if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Change your clothes. And then he says, in verse three, let us arise and go up to Bethel. Now, physically, Bethel is a thousand feet higher in elevation than Shechem. So there was like a physical ascent that they were making to arise and go up to Bethel. But Old Testament scholar Kenneth Conser points out that it was not just a physical ascent that was being made. When Jacob says, let us arise and go up to Bethel, it's not just kind of like going up physically, but it's moving up to higher ground spiritually. Let's go to higher ground. And then he says in verse three, that I may make there an altar 
to the God who answers me. In the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. You know, the first time that Jacob was at Bethel, when he dreamed the dream, what did he do? He built a pillar. But now, he says, I want to go there and I want to build an altar. That's because his commitment to God is no longer conditional, no longer ambivalent. Jacob is not saying anymore, well, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Then you, you'll be my God. No, no, no. Jacob is saying, you are my God. <clears throat> my idols are trashed. My bridges are burned. You are my God. I'll build an altar to you because you are deserving of my worship and no one else. Verse four. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears, the, the earrings were a part of idol worship as well in that culture. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Again, when it says that he hid them, that's almost like too polite. Uh, literally here, what it means is he dumped them. <laughs> he dumped them unceremoniously. Okay, this is a trashing of idols. So God's grace leads to repentance. Third, God's gracious protection and blessing. Because remember the situation, right? They made this re renewed commitment to God, but... They are still in Shechem at this point, surrounded by people who want to kill them. How are they even gonna make it back to Bethel? God's protection, God's blessing. Verse five, and as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue in other words, God just does a miracle. God just sort of causes a terror to fall upon these people so that they do not attack them. They don't even pursue them. It's just the sheer blessing of God upon people who have turned definitively to him. This is what God says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. This is God's promise, but listen. God is a strong support to those who lean upon him. <laughs> to those who turn to him and lean upon him for their support. Let's look at um, Psalm 81. This tells a story really of, of, of ancient Israel. This is really a story <laughs> uh, summed up here in just a, just a few verses. Let's look at it. Beginning in verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, 
that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. You God is saying here, you, you have no idea how good it could be you know, if, if you would listen to me, if you would trash your idols and turn to me as your king, you would have my protection. You would have my blessing. If you would quit looking to the world to satisfy your hunger and your thirst, which you can never do, and if you would turn to me, I would satisfy you in a way that nothing and no one could. God says, return to me. That's revival. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace. Thanks for all the undeserved mercy that you have have showered in our lives. Lord, Lord, all of us are like Jacob. (laughs) I mean, all of us have just received grace upon grace that we we did not deserve. We we deserve judgment. but instead you gave us Jesus. Thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would incline our hearts to you. Lord, that you would bring repentance, revival to our lives, work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about just a relationship with him, we'd love to come alongside you. Our pastors will be here at the front during invitation time or after the service. We would love to to pray with you, talk with you about a relationship with Christ, about being a part of our church family, just praying with you about any need in your life. It's open to you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. 
I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.